Welcome back, everybody, to Medical Matters Episode 3, Don't Knock It Till You Diet. And today we are joined by Ms. Karen Bain. Karen Bain, thank you so much for coming. As a little introduction, Karen Bain is a registered dietitian and uh, she works as a nutrition counselor and practices as a clinical dietitian with an emphasis on weight loss, diabetes management, and chronic disease. She has an extensive experience in diabetes telemedicine and program development for wellness. And last but not least, she is a faculty member here at the wonderful University of Nevada Reno School of Medicine. Thank you again, Ms. Bain, for coming. And just to start off the bat, is there anything that you'd like to discuss about uh, your experience or just anything you'd like to share with us? Well, I have um, been a dietitian for over, oh my goodness, 30 years and started off um, in Oregon after my internship at the Oregon Health Science University and worked with um, the VA patients up there, came back down to Reno and was able to be a part of um, putting together a nutrition support team. So really got my hands really deep and wet into the critical care patient population, which drove me into a prevention and wellness desire and passion um, after seeing just so much of the chronic illness. Then worked into the insurance company side of it, seeing a different perspective and how we really can manage health costs. And then now I'm at UNR School of Medicine as a faculty administrator and just working with med students and trying to impart years of experience and a little bit of what I know and hopefully that'll be my last hurrah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I appreciate you, you know, joining us today. Um, You know, we hear a lot about obesity and obesity is a, it's a rising health crisis in this country. Um, I think last thing I read, it was like something like a third of the country uh, qualifies as obese under our current standards. Um, And, you know, like it just, it affects so many people. Uh, It affects our healthcare system. Um, what do you, what do you tend to see as like maybe, maybe the best way to, to tackle it from your perspective, like either politically speaking on a personal level, like how do, how do we address it? Such a good question. And again, thank you for inviting me into this podcast. Um, working at UNR School of Medicine and working in our clinic, endocrinology, weight management and nutrition has been so, um, the experience has been just extremely valuable. I've seen so many patients coming from different, um, you know, their lives, lifestyles have been just so varied. And I see that the obesity epidemic is truly a concern, not only just for the health risks, but mental health. So there's a lot of definitely the mind-body axis that you've heard about and how obesity is looked upon as something that everyone should manage their weight, right? Everyone should be able to control their weight, know what to eat. And it's just a no-brainer because you should just do it. (laughs) And what we're working with with patients and just seeing that this is a team approach, that this is a more of a lifestyle medicine approach and helping patients truly understand what obesity means and the health risks associated, but then also that everyone's a weight manager. And I I like to say that to my patients is that you're going to be a weight manager. We're all going to be, we all have to be no matter what. Some of us just are a little bit more skilled at it than others. 
And I look at it as I don't think we address the skill set that's needed and required to be a manager of our health and well-being. And I think that what I've seen in our patient population is that everyone, even a diabetes patient, anyone that you are working with that you're bringing to a self-management, it is going to be very individual. And they're going to have much different experience. They're going to need new skills that they may never have known about. So it's bringing an awareness. It's bringing just a new perspective into their journey. And I find it so fulfilling to be able to be a part of a patient's journey toward their own well-being. And obesity does need to be addressed, but we need to really look at it as a team approach. And I always say to my patients, let's build your team because it's hard to do this. If it were easy to manage your weight, there wouldn't be an epidemic. Yeah, that's, that's interesting that you mentioned um, management being a team effort. And I'm kind of wondering what your uh, opinion is on how the food industry and the social media industry, what's their role in this team since there's just so much um, misinformation sometimes and a lot of advertisement for uh, business games that kind of combat kind of the progression of self-management and self-care. Absolutely, Kendall. Uh, the, there's so much information. Everyone, every time you read or open up your phone, you're reading another article, another a quick way to manage your weight. So people are searching. I mean, this definitely is um, something that people desire, whether they're coming into it not yet ready or ready for change. We, we really do have to evaluate readiness for change. And that's a whole nother behavioral component to lifestyle medicine. But there's so much information. How do you dissect it? How do you deliver it? How do you understand what's going to work for you as a self-manager of your weight? And that's where we hope to be as dietitians and nutrition experts to be the translators, the clarifier, the bring in some new understanding and knowledge, help them understand what they're doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it. And it really brings a different type of team approach. So, some, so what we say when we say team approach, we really mean build your expert team approach so that you're getting very accurate information. You're getting evidence-based um, input and feedback and really building your own confidence of true knowledge and how that works for you. How does that translate to you personally in your own rhythm of lifestyle medicine management? So I, I liken it to whenever I meet with a patient, I, kind of, I find out where their strengths are. I find out, like, for instance, Kendall, you and Sunil are both medical students. You both have certain management skills to make sure that you are on task with all the different blocks and different things that you have for medical school. Um, if you weren't organized or you didn't have a certain rhythm in your day-to-day, -day, what happens? What happens? So Everything would fall apart. Exactly. And we don't look at weight management that way. We tend to look at it as, effort, you know, there's a judgment if someone's overweight. You may say, well, they sure aren't watching their portions, or there could be just in the, just the judgment of humanness, um, that we have to understand that people are self-conscious. They may 
um, feel confident or not confident in their weight that they are. And many struggle. And it's a, we, we see weight cycling all the time where they've tried multiple diets and how do they make it work for them? And there's so much in metabolism and understanding um, just energy balance. But it really is a skill set that I used, I use a lot to say, what are you training for? What are you going to be? What kind of weight manager do you want to be? Then you are going to start practicing. There's some new skill sets that you will start to learn and adapt. And it's very dynamic. It's a beautiful, freeing journey. And it doesn't have to be failure negatively affecting your psyche too. So there's a lot involved in your team. It could be a behaviorist. It could be a talk therapist along with your dietitian. Your physician, absolutely, your PCP should be a part of that team. Could be an exercise you know, trainer. Could be your neighbor. So there's so much in building that team of solid people that you can trust and that you know will give you good information. But I always like to say to my patients that they are the most trustworthy source of information for themselves. That they know more about their body than anyone. And it just means listening to their own body feedback mechanism. Absolutely. I mean, I, uh, I, so I really appreciate like that perspective um, just because you know, I feel like it's, it's a neglected um, part of how we understand nutrition. Um, we think of it as a really physical element of calories in sort of like calories out. Um, we don't tend to, you know, fully understand, like you mentioned before, like the mind body connection like how important your mental state is um, to your eating patterns, uh, right? To your, to your sense of self, um, like your sense of self-worth, I think it plays a huge role in, in how much we eat or in what, in what we eat. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I mean, in, in, in my case, um, I mean, just to show like, I think every single person is fallible, especially myself. Uh, I've definitely eaten like a whole tub of ice cream. Uh, you know, if, if it's been a tough studying day, it, it just happens to the best of us. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really do respect that. Um, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to ask uh, something, something about like a topic that's been that's been bugging me recently, and it's about like fad diets, right? We we hear all this conflicting information. Um, so I wanted to ask you, like, from your perspective, like, considering you have the credentials, um, what do you think is like, like, you know, those like not necessarily fad diets but those dietary patterns that do have good evidence to back it up, either from what you've seen in, in your patients, what you've seen from, from others. Um, I've, I've heard things like, you know, maybe intermittent fasting might have some uh, validity. I just kind of want your thoughts on that. Yeah, great question. There's so many different forms of restrictive eating. And that's what I, I pretty much put all diets under some form of restrictive eating because you are either looking at time frames or looking at macronutrients, whether it be protein, carbs, or fat. Um, a lot of the, you know, fad diets, you know, that's one way to recognize, is it a fad? Is it something that's just here today, gone tomorrow? That could be, does it really just pinpoint one macronutrient and say, just avoid it or eliminate it? So those are some of the little red flags that we might say to recognize. But as far as restrictive eating, Absolutely. The reason why many of these quick fixes work initially 
is because you are restricting the calories in. You're, you're trying to achieve a negative energy balance. And as simple as that is, it is truly what it, you know, that's what metabolism is. And that's what weight loss is, is you're looking at how much energy are you fueling your body and how much are you expending, bottom line. And whether you do it in a intermittent fast where it does, eventually it restricts your total caloric intake. And even 5 to 7% weight loss, which we are all aware of, improves chronic disease markers for prediabetes, for cardiovascular, or many other chronic illnesses. So we know that 5% weight loss has benefit. So once, once that happens in that restrictive eating, the big key question is, how do you maintain that weight once it's been lost? And that's where the whole skill set comes in of understanding what is metabolic adaptability, what is adaptive thermogenesis, and understanding that weight maintenance is probably harder than weight loss. Weight loss, quick fix things. Keto, you drop weight like crazy because you are dehydrating. You're pulling away some of the water. So initially, you might lose a lot of water weight. But again, that makes a lot of patients, they're excited because they see there's movement and shifting, which again, as a dietitian, I will come alongside and say, okay, let's jumpstart you. That's a great way to just bring in readiness for change. And that is such a great way to say, I'm ready to start. Because quicker weight loss in the beginning is super motivating. And the, I think that that's why so many of these diets that you hear, whether it be the white food diet or the keto or the paleo, people are just super excited. But talk to them two years or three years down the line. Now, if their weight has cycled up and down, we know, the benef- we know what some of the risks with that as well. Because a lot of times they are higher than their initial weight when they started many of these restrictive eating patterns. So as a dietitian, we're going to look at eating patterns. And we're looking more longitudinal because, again, you can restrict and depend on willpower, which are very temporary, temporary practices. They are not sustainable. It's hard to stick with white foods for, the, for a good long time because that chocolate cake is going to look really good one day, right? Mm-hmm. And then willpower, what happens? Willpower is like a muscle. It just gets fatigued, it gets tired. It gets boring, boredom, boredom, and just doing the same routine. And then you wane off, and then you are back to the initial weight that you might have been, or else it just delays your eventual outcome of good health. So what we want to do is just really bring you to more understanding of your metabolism and how you can sustain that for two to three years down the line see where you're living, enjoy, be adventurous in your wellness journey. And it doesn't have to be so hindering or so, in many cases, very oppressive to many because they're just, they're imprisoned by their restrictive eating. They feel that the only way they can lose weight is to punish themselves with restrictions. And it's a very negative cycle that we'd like to move patients out of, move them into a very positive cycle of thinking that truly launches them forward in a very, you know, that the emotional health of weight management is very important along with what you eat and how you exercise. Yeah, it sounds like weight management, nutrition, and managing just your, your health overall is very 
patient-centered from what I, I gather from what you're saying. And I'd like to know about how that is in your practice. Uh, how do we, or how do you counsel, uh, say, a patient with diabetes versus another with renal disease or um, even dysphagia? How, how does that look in terms of true patient-centered recommendation and education? Well, thank you for asking. I'll have to put in a little plug for the fourth year elective because you can actually take the elective metabolic disorders is what it's named right now, but you can sit in and see and observe just a little bit of what we do as dietitians. But we're, we're not only nutrition um, experts, but we're coaches. So our health and wellness coaching is a big part of our practice of bringing people into a coaching relationship versus a counseling. And I believe that that's really what's been the most positive impact on my own profession in working with patients. I find that as I coach them along, all I'm doing is guiding them and giving them more tools for their toolbox that bring them into each day, each month, each year. It's a very dynamic process, even for diabetes. Now, you've got some clinical medical nutrition therapy patients in which I will definitely work with them like on kidney, kidney, you know, chronic kidney disease stage five, or if they're on dialysis, or if they have dysphagia, and they need some texture modifications or tube feedings. So those are very clinical specific that we will work with patients individually in that, you know, whatever that prescription is. But again, it's still empowering, even the tube feeding patient to be listening to their body. When the tube is um, somehow it needs to be flushed or just how to care for your own blenderized feedings. I mean, I've just worked with the patient recently on pursuing a different type of formula because it, she wanted real food. She says, I'm not satiated with you know, the routine and, you know, enteral therapy. So there's other foods out there that can be utilized for your patients. It doesn't have to be the same things that you've always known. And if a patient's saying, I am, not hung, I am not full on these tube feeds, listen to them because they know, they know what they're experiencing. And now we're actually, we got a prescription for a new formula called Real Foods Blend. And she's happy as a lark that she could actually, for the first time, feel satiated while on peg feedings. So that's very clinical. I would say we meet them where they're at as far as dietitians. You've got to come alongside, hear their story, work with them to understand where are you in your weight management? What do you really want? What's your vision? When I know their vision, it really helps me to coach them along. And it does. it's not my vision, it's their vision. What kinds of visions do your patients speak about? Often... I always say, what's your best self? Where do you see yourself? Three to five years down the line. And they just dream. Some of them dream. Some of them just know exactly what they want. So it's just so many. There's just, they're very specific to each person. I couldn't even tell you one exact one because they're so specific to that person's life and their home environment and who's in their life. Often a lot of them say, I just want to feel better. I want to not be so tired. I want to be able to play with my children. Or I want to retire and be able to travel. I mean, there's just 
but they're specific in the sense that I want to reduce my blood sugar or I want to reduce medications. I want to understand how to take care of myself. So, so that's, it helps us as dietitians and health coaches to really um, form that, form that framework with them in their journey. Uh, yeah, that's, it, it just, it just sounds beautiful uh, to me. You know, we're, we're going into, into the healthcare field, uh, you know, me and Kendall. Um, and I think, you know, sort of that commonality um, between our professions. I mean, we're not, we're not professionals now. Uh, within the next decade, we will be. But mm-hmm. I, I, I think the thing that I just, I love to hear about and I love to see is just the idea of us progressing with our patients, you know, uh, moving forward together, um, helping them reach those goals. It's, there's, there's nothing like it. What do you feel are like the, like what are the things that bug you the most about about nutritional science or like nutritional, you know, PR or like social media, um, you know, profiles that um, claim to be nutritionists. Um, I, I guess like what, what are the things that you know, tend to like irk you? Okay. That's a great question. Okay. Now you're going to really hear the dirt now. <laughs> 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 well, I think everyone's a nutritionist, right? I mean, everyone claims to be someone that knows something about nutrition and even your own family members. So even though I'm a dietitian, I still work with family and they, my own mother still doesn't listen to me. So, But everyone thinks they know enough about nutrition and some do, some can read about really solid articles and understand different practices but then you'll still have those outliers saying i heard nightshades are really bad and tomatoes are nightshades so i'm going to eliminate that from your, my diet and, and you're like where did you get that from and it's just interesting some of those claims i think you know fact versus fiction i think that's what i've learned to over the years just kind of just not react to that and just respond and bring in some evidence-based information because that's where we as professionals want to be, um, you you know, utilized for most is that we will be looking at research. We're going to look at all those studies, like the preview study that was really great in the Netherlands for um, just how to, how's weight maintenance really going to happen in a, you know, with the declining REE after weight loss, you know, so, so many of those studies that are um, randomized controlled studies that are solid and it just makes sense because we're working with the patients and we're seeing that in them so with the volume of patients that we see and the experience that we can link the research to the actual practice that's good science and a lot of times the, the diets that are out there don't have enough science behind it They're, they might be anecdotal they could be um, on rats or mice, and it's not human subjects. So you have to really look deeper and find out where is the source? Is this fact or is this fiction? Is this semi-factual? But yet they're interpreting it into something that people use, and then it just puts them on another rabbit chase in what they really want. So again, trying to steady our patients and even the public with, you know, how do you do this today? And is this something that you can realistically um, follow for the rest of your life? And that's a big question, sustainability, because we have a lot of patients that do extreme 
things for weight loss and weight management? And how do we prevent the catastrophes or some of the mental things that happen when things are still not ideal for them? So again, there's multifactorial, but as dietitians, I think I would have to say we would all agree when we just when we hear half factual practices that people are just solidly convinced that this is it and that what we try to impart is just boring <laughs> or you know because dietitians you know variety moderation and balance can't write a whole lot of books on that right <laughs> but it's solid variety not only in eating but in exercising and diversifying your microbiome. I mean, it just, variety is the key and the spice of life. It's what makes us love our profession because there's so much variety. It's not just one, one practice. There's so much adventure and so much that you can offer in the variety component. And of course, moderation, simple fact of life, anything too much of or too little throws off balance and then we also have variety balance and just um what did i say i can't even remember now <laughs> i had one more variety balance and i'll think of it later but those are two that are just very solid um practices moderation variety balance and moderation so balance so balance of nutrition and looking at fueling and how do you find that balance in life, whether it be work-life balance, whether it be environmental balance, whether it be uh, mental health balance, whether it be macronutrient balance. And we look at, yeah, balance in eating. If you're only eating one macronutrient and very little of the other, there may be some health consequences or weight management consequences. But if I had to, you know, advise on a particular macronutrient mix, a lot of solid evidence with a higher protein mix with just a moderate carbohydrate and fat um, prescription would be great for weight maintenance after the weight loss. So there is validity to higher protein for just thermic effect of food. Um, but again, that's a whole nother talk. I mean, but it's really interesting just understanding macronutrients and their own thermic effect of food and energy. Yeah, I, it's, it's really great that you have that background in biochemistry aspects and um, understanding the full consequences of what we put into our bodies and how that's such a much more deep scope compared to other healthcare providers, right? And so I wanted to ask, do you believe that clinical dietitians play a sufficient role right now in primary care, or do you think that they should have a more integrated role in seeing patients the same way that uh, patients see doctors during their annual visit, should we be seeing RDs as well? Well, I would have to say that's why I'm at the med school, because there has not been nutrition integrated into the curriculum fully 
since 1962 when it was identified as a need. And that's through American Medical Association. So here we are in 2021, and we're starting to see schools across the nation wanting more nutrition in their curriculum. It's a sad state of affairs because as a dietitian that has always promoted prevention, but then also wellness and the solid clinical piece of medical nutrition therapy, that we are finally seeing an outcry that something's missing in our health care and that even with COVID happening, what were some of the risk factors with our patients, the patients that had COVID and poor outcome? Like obesity, cardiovascular, diabetes, all those chronic illnesses, the, num- you know, the ones that have always been identified in metabolic syndrome. What is the, you know, what is truly at the core of that? Lifestyle. Lifestyle medicine management and nutrition is right there. So absolutely, what I believe that every physician practice should definitely have a dietitian piece in there. Absolutely, because we're able to really bring in the food component, the food science. And it really is. Nutrition is a science that needs to be brought in as a part of medical care. And it's patient-focused. Everybody eats every day. I mean, we have to have some support for something we do every day. And that's how important food is. Food is medicine. How do we bring that message, have that dialogue? And now medical students now are hearing that in the curriculum. We're injecting nutrition into cases of the weeks. We're injecting it into um, different workshops. We're having our medicine, you know, culinary medicine committee now. I mean, we've got great students that are on board that want to just bring some great workshops coming up. So I'm so excited with the energy and the interest because when I started way back 29 years ago, doctors just looked at me like, oh, nutrition, it's just fluff. They didn't realize how important it was. And when NPO times 12 days happened, all that microbiome stuff was happening. And we were seeing nosocomial infections. We're seeing all these things with intestinal leakage. And what were we doing? What was the barrier? How did we protect that patient? So we were trying to get enteral feedings right away initially, like get it in there, feed the gut, get those trophic hormones working. But none of the physicians were trained with that. So it was unfamiliar. So we had this misalignment of good patient care. And now you are all the future physicians. You're going to know it's important. And this is a great day for all of us that have, you know, kind of plugged through this type of medical care. We've always been a part of it. But I think there will be more and that you can utilize your dietitian. You know, bring her on. Ask for input. The only reason why we went into this field is because we love food and we love the science of it, and we believe that it is medicine too. The one of the things that, that we learned in our curriculum was that the social determinants of health, the things outside of direct healthcare, make up something like 80% of health outcomes, right? And that, those are things like what people eat, um, you know, their overall activity level, their stress levels, um, income levels. I mean, all these different factors, they play a massive role. Um, an outsized role compared to anything. One last question. And 
And this is food deserts, right? We see them in so many of our inner cities um, and so many of our rural areas uh, in, in this country, also in other countries. Um, I mean, if you have, you know, put, put any thought into this, like, what do you, what do you feel is like the best way? Like what's, what do you think is the first step um, that we can take, you know, in the right direction towards, mm -hmm. towards solving it? Right. I, I mean, can you believe Reno also? I mean, there's certain areas are food deserts. I mean, here, right? Our local community. And that's something we have addressed even with the Culinary Medicine Committee. In fact, one of the modules is on food insecurity and really bringing, how do we bring the community get together in forming a better way of distributing food or having food grown closer or even having different um, programs work together. So I think the collaboration is going to be a key. And we've got the Department of Nutrition that works a lot with the SNAP program and some of the underserved, and that's just really bringing in more of the coordinated effort. I mean, there's a lot of good things happening, but it may be siloed or it may not be um, known what's really out there. How do we bring it together to make it better for the whole? And can food deserts be eliminated? I think they can. If, oops, sorry. I think they can if they are, if we really have more of a community-wide effort. And I think the Culinary Medicine Committee is looking at that. We're looking at providing more community education through these very hands-on modules that med students, dietetic students, um, PA students, we're bringing in just this interdisciplinary nursing chefs, culinary students working together to bring in how do we build a community of support that we have all the resources we really do. I mean, this is an obesogenic environment. How could we have food deserts? Right? I mean, food is available 24-7. It's not the right foods a lot of times, but it's available. So what is wrong with this picture and there should be good food available it doesn't have to be the high fat high processed foods and how mm -hmm. can we do this better as a community to serve nevada as a whole and i think that's where we're having discussions with unlv med school and their own culinary medicine program and really having those conversations i can't say we're the only ones but we're going to be bringing in more of those initiatives because the food desert is real and it's right here. And there are students even on our campus that don't have access to food. Um, I live in a food desert. So, I mean, technically speaking, and it, like, it's something that, that you just see uh, as such a, as such a prevalent thing. Um, even though it's not something that comes to mind directly, right? Like we don't have a grocery store anywhere nearby. We have a gas station. Uh, we have a McDonald's and a Taco Bell. And then another McDonald's and a Jack in the Box and I think a Carl's Jr. Um, and, you know, for, for a large portion of the community that takes public transport, you know, they, they don't have an option. So that's just what they eat. Um, and then, you know, consequently, you see more obesity. Um, so I think, mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's huge. It's a huge part of the equation. You know, if we can solve mm -hmm. that, we can solve a huge portion of, of the issue of obesity. Yeah. Absolutely, because it's true. Those that we work with that are underserved, a lot of times they have chronic conditions and obesity. And why is that? 
oftentimes they aren't even aware of what to do or how to put things together within a cost-effective manner. So those skill sets need to be formed. They can within their budgeted amount. It's not as expensive as you think, but they need that information. And we as providers should be able to provide that for them and get the message out to many so that the information is widespread. Yeah, I think the dissemination of accurate information is just as important as the diet itself, just Mm -hmm. given that the information out there is ubiquitous and some being Mm -hmm. more accurate than others these days. More inaccurate, I would say, than accurate in the media. Mm -hmm. And once you bring in information, some just basic nutrition 101 to patients in food deserts, Oftentimes they have it in their pantry and they can do it, whether it be frozen vegetables or fruits that really can store longer. It doesn't have to be only what the food bank gives you or only what you can get once a month, but it can be even if we had more gardens available even. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? Any produce that's going to be going bad. I mean, there's some apps that other states have in which Grocery stores can just put on the app, okay, we're going to, we have this, this, and this, come and get it. I mean, how do we do that better here in our own state? That would be something to look into, having a phone app where people know where to go when there's a surplus and it needs to be distributed versus gone to waste. Oh, (laughs) if, if you could, you know, impart our, our audience with, with like, you know, a final, a final takeaway that that you just that you really like for the average person um, to keep in mind um, when when considering good nutrition, like what makes a good diet. Um, what what do you want to leave them with? I would leave with a very popular slogan that we have always had in the American Dietetic Association, or even what we call now Fancy, but it's all foods fit, all foods fit, and I think it gives such a release when we're in such a restrictive way of eating and in some ways it just brings a freedom to how we could be healthy and really bring it together with new understanding of how it can be done in a very strategic educated manner where no one has to you know patients do not have to feel that they're depriving themselves or you as a medical student have to provide one solid you know, prescription that they have to follow, like a low sodium forever, <laughs> that there's all foods fit. See your dietitian, allow them to creatively help you in bringing that to be. And I think it would just help just so many people out there that are really struggling in restrictive eating or diets coming out of the hospital. They are given cardiac guidelines or kidney, kidney diets that are just not realistic over time that it can be liberalized or you know just bringing in new understanding so all foods fit and find out from your dietitian how that can be because they'll look at everything from clinical progress and just their lifestyle and then also their environment so there's social environmental behavioral components that go along with nutrition and physical physical exercise too so Again, we cover the bases, but again, we're looking at a holistic approach to a patient's well-being and lifestyle management.
Perfect. Well, uh, thank you so much, Ms. Bain, for your time, uh, your expertise, and your insight. Um, they're always appreciated. Um, so before we sign off, uh, we just want to mention that uh, our next guest, Dr. Uh, Gil Carvalho, will be joining us next month for our second part of a two-part nutrition series. Um, so for the first part, we discussed uh, you know, a lot of uh, more of the clinical end of things. Uh, for the second part, we'll be discussing some of the more research um, side of, of, of nutritional science, uh, including yeah. some of the work that he's doing um, on the frontier of it. Uh, so I just want to thank thank you once again for, for joining us. Uh, thank you to the audience for tuning in. And this has been Medical Matters.